Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 254 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for choosing the right probiotic, and we are going to be doing a deep dive on strains, specific research on specific strains of probiotics, clinical outcomes on our products, um, highlighting some of our concerns with the spore-based probiotics or soil-based probiotics, and we'll be talking a lot about the microbiome and immune connection. Yes, and nerding out on everything in between from what is a strain and ID guarantee and CFUs and how do I store my probiotics and so much more. So this is really a good roundup of all things probiotic. And as you know, I'm pretty passionate about the importance of the microbiome. So we have a lot of content out there for you already. Just to give you some of the highlights, uh, most recently was episode 230, Dysbiosis Through Disconnection. That was actually Becky's fave of all time. At least of recent history. It's what she shared in, in our top yeah, I did. <laughs> episode. It's a good one. It was um, my favorite that day. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a really good one. It was one that I really enjoyed putting together, talking about you know how we share microbiomes with our community, essentially, and the sterility um, or hygiene hypothesis, basically. Uh, that was episode 230. Episode 198 is one that I'm constantly sharing with you guys on DMs. Uh, so you're on an antibiotic. Pretty much anytime someone says, oh no, I had to take an antibiotic for, you know, a sinus infection or XYZ, or I'm having a surgery or, or this is coming up, always checking out episode 198 of what you can do to kind of rebalance your gut following antibiotic use and the importance of doing so. Episode 174, the dysbiosis disease connection. And that's when I talked about my third beat the bloat cleanse. Episode 60, going way back, dysbiosis and the microbiome, just kind of doing a deep dive on what dysbiosis is. Episode 68, supporting your immune system naturally, where we went into ear infections and antibiotic use in kids. Episode 87 on the grain, the excuse me, gut brain, I made a hybrid word, <laughs> the gut brain access. And then episode 131, Candida and SIBO deep dive, which at that time, uh, when we put that out, that was a constant ask. And it's so funny because as we went through that episode and as we teach in our 12-week Food is Medicine Keto class, essentially a lot of the things that you do for SIBO can be managed as well for Candida. Maybe we don't have to go through that whole FODMAP protocol, but as far as the therapeutic units that we would use for cleanse, like berberine and using biofilm breakers like N-acetylcysteine and the importance of caprylic acid and all of these different antifungal, antibacterial players, there's a lot of overlap. So if you're thinking of doing a gut cleanse and you don't know where you're at, 
the answer to that is start with the beat the bloat cleanse really and you'll probably get some amazing outcomes yes and so many resources in between i feel like we talk about probiotics like in almost every episode true so true it'll be good to put everything kind of in one place today yes so before we get into that, let's jump into today's sponsor, which is Santa Cruz Medicinal, a CBD company, and kind of connected because we're talking about here the endocannabinoid system, which is a system within all of the human bodies. You know, every human body is going to have an endocannabinoid system. And we have cannabidiol or CBD that is made endogenously, meaning naturally by the body. We've also seen therapeutic effects from dosing CBD exogenously or taking it as a supplement tool. CBD has the ability to naturally support mood stability, calm anxiety, and regulate stress. So it does have some influence on that fight or flight response in the body. And some studies will show that CBD can actually counteract cortisol from being released. I like to add CBD to my morning cup of coffee because that's one way that will kind of offset the epinephrine or adrenaline surge from the caffeine and the stimulus of the coffee itself so that I can still have that cognitive alertness and maybe the fighting against Parkinson's or neurological disease states of the coffee without throwing my adrenals off or driving that adrenal excess output. So CBD can be used orally as a tincture, just taken on its own. Uh, it can be used in the morning, midday, and at night, but there is a lot of studies that support the balance of CBD in sleep. Um, it has a lot of neuroimmune support, so it can help to stabilize neurological function, enhance our immune system. So a lot of my autoimmune patients use CBD for natural pain management and also reducing that excitatory autoimmune overreaction of the immune system. And CBD can also be generally anti-inflammatory. So a multitude of mechanisms. I recommend if you are looking at playing with CBD that you find a company that is third-party tested and has potent and pure formulas. And that's why I've partnered with Santa Cruz Medicinals. When you go on over to scmedicinals.com, you can use the promo code AllieMillerRD and that will save you 15% off and give you free shipping on your order. So Santa Cruz Medicinals provides potent and affordable products. And we have found time and time again that oral CBD, and we've seen this in research of course, but as well as patient testimonials, using CBD doesn't work at micro doses. And especially in some of these processed trendy products like the gummies and mm, yeah. <laughs> the patches and all these kind of buzzworthy, um, I don't know, like magazine yeah, influencer. Yeah, yeah. It'll be like five milligrams and that's yes. nothing. Yes. So, you know, we like to look for a product that has uh, no solvents or additives. So it's pure and that it's still potent. So we're looking at a dosage anywhere between really 30 to 100 milligrams daily, and per time really at minimum 20 milligrams. So starting with like 30 milligrams at rise and 30 to 50 milligrams in the evening might be a really great entry. And at Santa Cruz Medicinals, they recommend that you do a CBD challenge where you take 100 milligrams of CBD a day and see how you feel after a week. So you can kind of journal how you feel in your mood, in your inflammation in your body, just generalized aches, pains, how your digestive system responds because the endocannabinoid system can also calm an overreactive or inflamed gut. 
um, and even checking in on depth and quality of sleep. And then you could adjust your dosage from there. So considering kind of leveling up at that higher dose would be a strong way to know if your body responds favorably to cannabidiol. Um, also, when you're over at Santa Cruz Medicinals, you can check out their deep sleep capsules. These have 50 milligrams of CBD per capsule along with valerian and L-theanine. So this is really great, that sedative nervine herb and that L-theanine, which helps to modulate our alpha brain waves. And then there are tinctures that I really like, just use a pure MCT oil. And you can see the um, photo impact, the light impact of the, uh, the UV impact on the coconut, showing that it is a whole food. You actually get that antioxidant, beautiful pink pigment. Um, that occurs, which I think is just pretty on my countertop. Sure is, without any colors or anything added. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, no non-caloric sweeteners or anything that's going to mess with your hustle. So go on over to scmedicinals.com, use Allie Miller RD at checkout, and see how CBD works for you. All right. To kick things off, let's just do a quick refresh here, Allie, on the microbiome and what it can do for our body when it's in a balanced state. Yeah, so you know we are actually outnumbered by bacteria cells than we are the cells that comprise our body, and that's always really shocking to consider. So there are a hundred trillion cells of bacteria and yeast that line the mucosal membranes of our mouth, our skin, our gut, even our eyes. We have an ocular biome, and this comprises about three to five pounds of living bacteria known as the microbiome. So the microbiome, when in a state of symbiosis, meaning that those 100 trillion cells are working for the host, for us, in a symbiotic state, we can have enhanced immune response. We can have reduced inflammation in the body or a, a inflammatory process that's balanced. We can see improved digestive or optimal digestive function, nutrient absorption and production occurring in an optimal manner. We can see good production of serotonin, that feel-good neurotransmitter, and other mood-stabilizing effects, as well as things like supporting our metabolic health, uh, blood sugar balance, our weight, and body composition with less bloating and distension. On the contrary, if we're dealing with a dysbiotic status, this is an imbalance in the body where those 100 trillion cells of bacteria or yeast are not favorable and they're actually working against the host or battling the body, if you will. And we will see a gamut of bad or negative influence on the body. So we can see bloating and distension and GI stress. I think that's the most commonplace things that we think of. So constipation, diarrhea, bowel incontinence or urgency, we can see chronic inflammation. We can see immune dysfunction, higher susceptibility to autoimmune conditions, as well as immune insufficiency, so more susceptibility to virus and um, infections and such. We can see an imbalance of neurotransmitter production. So instead of making that serotonin, we can see an increase of the fight or flight stress responding chemicals, the excitatory neurotransmitters, basically creating bells and whistles telling the body it isn't safe. And we can see a suboptimal amount of serotonin. So you don't have that landing gear produced to tell the body it's well. And you can see an excess of the excitatory response because the gut is connecting to our brain, that gut brain axis, and saying things aren't right in here, things aren't right in here. So we can have anxiety, panic attack, um, we can even have increased blood pressure and vasovagal imbalance, which can be tied to that dysbiotic state. 
And when we're talking probiotics, we're talking both about the good guys in our own gut or our own system, and then also about the exogenous probiotics that we can take either as a supplement or a food. Right, absolutely. And and I think that dually very important. And as we continue to live in a more sterilized environment, you know, the disinfectant products that are used, the um, types of materials our homes are made of, and basically our living environment is very antibacterial. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, over the last three decades, even more so. Unfortunately, over pandemic, even more so. So it creates a really important dynamic to, yes, support the terrain of the body to be a good host of bacteria diversity, but also to be very... Um, intentional with pollinating or intentionally consuming probiotic rich foods and that's where it becomes important I think with today's topic of being strategic with the strain and the species that you're selecting as well because as we'll see there's different influence based on type of probiotic yes Um, let's cover maybe a couple more of just the roles and, and benefits of probiotics so obviously you talked about the neurotransmitter piece of the puzzle and digestive health Yes. And, you know, when we look at probiotics as well, we talked about immune, we talked about inflammation. I think skin is something I didn't mention yet. And um, we see impact from eczema to psoriasis uh, to acne. Um, Acne can definitely be associated with uh, candida or a form of yeast overgrowth in the body, as well as dysbiosis in the gut or parasite. Uh, We think of the skin as like the window of the gut in many ways and so that's another area i think that would be a big hit any other big ones you're thinking of that i missed um production of certain nutrients so b12 vitamin k uh, butyrate produced by our, our good bugs in our gut yeah butyrate has a whole host of benefits on the body uh definitely colon cancer prevention we see as well as supporting ph balance in the body um, and being an energy substrate for our body as well yeah Okay, let's dig in a little bit deeper on immune function and probiotics because I think this is an area where they really shine. Absolutely. And, you know, this is where there are multiple mechanisms that are involved in this intricate web, if you will, of connections between the immune system and our gut bacteria. And again, the importance of that symbiotic relationship versus dysbiosis. So when we're looking at the connection of gut and immune, We know that when the gut is in an optimal state and it has good gut flora, we're going to see enhanced secretory IgA function. So we're going to see a good secretion of our immunoglobulin A. If the gut was in a dysbiotic state, we'd see an excess secretory IgA output, and that can even drive leaky gut, which can hinder the function of the GALT, the gut-associated lymphatic tissue. This is literally the fine tissue that lines our gut, and what would be seen with leaky gut is that that GALT would be insufficient and wouldn't be producing optimal antigens to our, or antibodies, excuse me, to an antigen. So when we get presentation of a foreign body, our immune system isn't doesn't have the capacity to produce the responder, if you will. We even see to the level of toll-like receptor function and our gut bacteria. When the gut's in an optimal state or we have good gut bacteria, toll-like receptors are going to respond with presentation of a pathogen in a more favorable way and how our T-cells behave, our regulatory T-cells, which play a role in our acquired or learned immune response 
and helps us to be resilient from future infection. So we can see the impact of our immune system really as like both defense and offense. There is a cascade of events that our microbiome will influence where on a defense state, we have good gut integrity. The GALT is producing good pathogen recognition or presentation and response to that antibody-antigen relationship. And then we're also seeing in the more activation and the offense, if you will, if the immune system sees something it doesn't like, it can actually upregulate natural killer cell responders and respond with our white blood cells. Both our innate and acquired immune system of the white blood cell response and natural killer and the T cell response can be modulated through our gut flora, which is really wild to think of on both sides. So you're less prone towards infection with a good balanced symbiotic gut and the way you fight against an infection will be enhanced if you support your body with probiotics during your illness. Got it. Defense and offense. Even though I don't know a lot about sports, I get that. (laughs) Yes. And I think it's important to note, even in a sterilized gut, you know, as we've been kind of ramping on the importance of sterility, that the microbiome really requires this good gut flora to regulate T cells. In fact, we've seen in studies, germ-free mice display a reduced number of our T helper 1 and T helper 17 cells and less gut-associated lymphatic tissue. So again, in a sterilized gut, sterility can come from stress or from antibiotic use or from disinfectants and antimicrobial products, we can see that then that gut has, again, not enough GALT, not enough tissue to make the players and not enough production of the players that help the immune system do the fighting and the remembering for future defense. Sure. And then also creates this ground for kind of anybody to come in and and colonize. And often that's where we see dysbiosis picking up post-sterility. Yeah, and dysbiosis can further exacerbate infection in an unfavorable way, right? Because then we can think of mismanaged inflammatory response or not having those players to aid in that kind of long-term memory impact of the immune system. Yeah, I think that's really important to note. Um, What about what to look for when choosing a probiotic? Let's kind of go down the rabbit hole on strains and our genus and species and um, what ID guarantee all means, uh, but what we're looking for when we're choosing a probiotic. Absolutely. So let's start with the ID guarantee because I think that's something that trips people up. And it was really important when we were formulating our products through the Naturally Nourished line to ensure that we had that consistency in our outcomes. You know, if you're just taking something that's broad and not specific, you can't necessarily tie it to a randomized clinical trial of actual efficacy. So when we look at a good quality probiotic, it should always have ID guarantee, which means that the genetically identified strains are going to be at an active presence of only the beneficial microorganisms and provide us both the genius species and strain. Many probiotics out there will just give you the genius. So for instance, this would be lactobacillus. You might see the genius and the species like lactobacillus acidophilus, but often they're lacking that strain. Um, So for instance, in our lactobacillus formulas, we were often using the lactobacillus acidophilus NCFM, which we're about to get really nerdy on because that is the most widely clinically effective and well-researched probiotic strain on the market. So, you know, a lactobacillus versus a lactobacillus NCFM is totally different world. 
Yep, there's a lot of other types of lactobacillus and, and not a lot that have as much research as the NCFM. So Absolutely. that strain makes a huge difference. So yeah, so the strain ID is really important. And also ensuring, of course, that the strains that you're consuming are clinically studied that have research demonstrated benefits to your health. The potency is super important. And so when we're looking at potency, we're using CFU, which stands for Colony Forming Units. This is going to ensure that the amount that we're taking that we look at in correlation to studies is enough to make a beneficial impact and also help us to discern how much our body needs. And that's kind of what we're doing with our probiotic challenge, where we start you with the lactobacillus and bifido, and I'm shortening, it's the lactobacillus acidophilus NCFM and the bifidobacterium BI07 that we use in the Restore Baseline probiotic at 15 billion CFUs, which is often more potent than any probiotic out there. Uh, many of them are in the millions or the one billion and we start with that in the restore baseline at 15 billion CFUs. And then in three-day increments, we're increasing you by 15 billion CFUs. And so, you know, we're going from a, a baseline of zero probiotic to 15 billion CFUs to 30 billion to 45 to 60 billion. And when we get to that 60 billion CFUs, that equates one capsule of our targeted strength probiotic. So knowing the ID guarantee, knowing that it's formulated with supported strains and that it has potency is really important. All of the probiotics in the naturally nourished line are going to be guaranteed through the date of expiration. Many also only are guaranteed through the date of production right. at that potency, which is really important to note. And what takes into account with that is ensuring that the probiotic is manufactured in a temperature-controlled environment, it is stored in a temperature-controlled warehouse, and um, the delivery is done in such a way that we ensure live and healthy probiotics. Um, let's talk a little bit about that, Becky. You want to share about refrigeration. I think that's often a question, yeah. and we've been sharing yep. those graphs on our page, which I'm sure we'll link, but the stability studies that we've done specific to our line. Yeah, so our, our specific probiotics, we've had them assessed for um, potency at higher temperatures than you would probably ever store a probiotic up to 122 degrees. And they're still showing, um, even at that 122 plus degrees, still showing at least the stated active CFU in the bottle, if not even higher. Often some, higher. Yeah, often higher. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of refrigeration with our probiotics, um, we actually don't recommend refrigerating them um, or at least not taking them in and out of the fridge because I think that could cause a lot of like condensation and cause the capsules to degrade. And that could potentially interfere with the potency or getting water in there and getting kind of yuck and they're not gonna last as long. Um, so we personally don't refrigerate no. our probiotics. And I think people because, are surprised to learn that. Yeah. Even if you don't plan on leaving it out, mm -hmm. life happens. So, you know, you pull out the bottle, you grab your capsule out, and then you get distracted with the mail or something, right? Yeah. Uh, so keeping them at your room temperature and just in a cool, dark place, like I keep mine in my vanity, my bathroom, uh, and I keep some actually on my nightstand as well. That's the best uh, recommendation I have because it's not going through that cold and yes, the condensation mm -hmm. change. And I would note, Becky, the temperature of the 122 degrees Fahrenheit, that was held for 48 hours yeah. minimum. So it's not like we hit it with a heat gun 
and then tested it two days later and said, look, it still held at 60 billion. In the case of the targeted strength probiotic, it was upwards of 120 billion. So almost, so totally double the potency after it held at two days of that 122 degrees. So even in transit in the heat of summer, we're likely not sitting at that high of a heat for that period of time by any means. And we have a whole kind of FAQ page on that because, you know, every summer we do encourage stocking up just because with you know, shipping delays and things like that, there is potential, I guess, that the inside of a truck could get that hot, but I don't really think so. I, I think there's a lot more temperature control even with the mail, but maybe if it's in your metal mailbox for like yeah. a week or something. Um, you'd have to try. Yeah, you'd have to really try. Um, but, in, and even in Texas, um, but we've got that whole FAQ page that I will link that shows these nice graphs. Yes. Um, and then I wanted to note on just the purity and um, the potency guarantee we recently shared on instagram um, amazon's best-selling probiotic versus our targeted strength probiotic and byron who's like super nerdy did some math and figured out that the other probiotic um, was stating colony forming units per gram and when he did the math so it said on there that it was 15 billion colony forming units per gram so you think oh 15 billion that's very similar to restore baseline right Mm -hmm. Uh, but when he actually did the math and calculated it out it was only 0.5 billion cfu per capsule um, and contained 85 percent prebiotics so basically a whole bunch of filler yeah um, and also did not have an id guaranteed strain Um, right so those are the big things to really be looking for and making sure that it is ID guaranteed and that it is a guaranteed CFU per capsule. capsule. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's key. And the other thing I would note, you know, is that it doesn't have a prebiotic in that. I really prefer that you get your prebiotics from whole foods. So you can get prebiotic fibers from starchy vegetables. We think of especially like Jerusalem artichoke and we think of like jicama as really good sources of those resistant starches that our good gut flora eats on. But oftentimes, and as you'll learn, many of these strains can actually be used in rebounding a gut following a candida cleanse or dysbiosis cleanse. And we're maybe not ready to feed and fertilize. We just want to pollinate first and then bring in that kind of fertilizer, if you will, is what I think of as the prebiotics to Mm -hmm. keep the probiotic viable. So I recommend making sure that you aren't taking a pill that has inulin in it or some of those resistant starches or prebiotic fiber blends. And then if you want, you have our phytofiber on hand that you can kind of dose dependent, just like your colony forming units of your probiotics. So in our bacteria rebuild bundle, we do segregate that. We have that one bottle of the Restore Baseline, which is the 50-50 blend of lactobifido. We have the Rebuild Spectrum, which has the multi-strains, and we'll nerd out on that a little bit further. And then there is that GI cleanup to still keep making space in the gut flora and regulating if there is any rebound of the dysbiotic flora, and then that phytofiber. So that works as a really uh, intentional symphony, if you will, to ensure that we're able to adjust the levers specific to the individual's gut microbiome status. That's a really good point, because if you're taking a capsule that has prebiotic in it, you don't know likely how much is in there and and there could even be you know potential inflammatory ingredients we don't know what those fibers are necessarily made from depending on the quality of the probiotic but with the phytofiber you can kind of adjust 
as you're ready for that quote unquote fertilizer, you can ramp it up versus taking the same amount and maybe not tolerating it well. Right. And then, you know, so beyond with that purity, we talked about the ID guarantee. We talked about the CFU. I would also say ensuring that that probiotic company is third-party testing for toxicity. So we use a manufacturing facility that is really state-of-the-art and regulates environmental controls to protect against bacteria, to protect against light exposure, which would oxidize, as well as heat and moisture. And we test not only for that potency while temperature um, stressing it, if you will, but we also test for toxicity of molds, contaminants like toxic metals, and anything that could be added in the process as a undesirable ingredient. You know, so we're ensuring that you're getting only what we're telling you. And the last thing that I would say to consider within your own repertoire of probiotics is having a range of targeted applications. And that's kind of what we're gonna nerd out on today of our five distinct formulas of the Naturally Nourished line, why we've selected the particular strain IDs we have, what clinical research shows as far as efficacy with these strains and how you could use them to support optimal health based on the feedback that your body's given. All right, so let's talk a little bit about um, strain-specific probiotics, kind of what this means, um, and you know, maybe even delving into the world of probiotic priorities, because I think this is important to note that they can shift via season and what's mm-hmm. going on in your body. Yeah, so I mean, I kind of think the baseline, which hence the word restore baseline probiotic uh, that we have in our formula has the two most potent uh, bacterial strains that I think everyone needs. And we actually have those strains featured in three formulas, and that's the Lactobacillus acidophilus NCFM and the Bifidobacteria, uh, which is the BIO7. So we have those two strains specifically in our Restore baseline at the 15 billion, the four times potency of that at the targeted strength. And then we have those same strains in our kids' um, biotic as well. And so if you're starting of just a baseline, if you need to be taking a probiotic, that's the best place to start. Um, And then again, you would use that probiotic challenge to determine if you're an adult of whether you need the 15 billion restore baseline or the 60 billion targeted. Now, if you are dealing with a gut cleanse, or you have failed the probiotic challenge and your symptoms got worse when you added those live active cultures, then you would want to consider the Rebuild Spectrum probiotic, which would be more brought in, as we'll discuss, some of those strains are gonna actually be competitive inhibitors to bacterial imbalance. We tend to think of the Rebuild Spectrum to have on hand for international travel, foodborne illness, or a kind of heavier hit for the immune system. So we use this more in like our post-surgical protocol. Anytime someone's getting sterilized from an antibiotic, or if we have an immune hit, we would layer that on. That's typically gonna be secondary or added to the lactobifido blend as our baseline. Uh, But for some individuals that don't tolerate the lactobifido, they could start there. Sure. All right, so let's dig in. Let's get super nerdy and just go for it. Um, Starting with this lactobacillus acidophilus NCFM. So this is probably the most widely researched strain out there. Yeah, I mean, this is the one that has over 45 clinical trials specific to this, again, ID strain. So not just lactobacillus, but the lactobacillus acidophilus NCFM. A lot of the research behind it ties into IBS. And this 
this particular strain has shown efficacy in comparison to medications such as Linzess, which is, you know, a multi-billion dollar medication that's been used in the IBS world and inflammatory bowel disease as well. Often the NCFM is used alongside a bifidobacteria strain. And in the case of all of our products, it is used alongside, again, that BI07. Um, but again, the NCFM of the lactobacillus is the most well-researched on the planet. It has a broad range of studies from gastrointestinal and general health to immune function, uh, antibiotic-associated gut disturbances and recovery, as well as um, irritable bowel syndrome and supporting symptom reduction, as well as aiding in remission of the diagnosis. And I think something important that we didn't touch on when we were talking um, ID guarantee is safety and survivability. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that because all of our products have been studied um, in terms of the strains for safety and survivability through the GI tract. So you know you're not getting like a dead probiotic or that it's immediately being killed off by stomach acid. Yeah, it's important to note that, you know, there are genomic influencing factors of bringing in this, you know, bacteria to your body, you know, and so we could see acute toxicity if the strain that we're consuming has not been guaranteed to be safe for human consumption. Mm -hmm. But like you said, all of the ones in our line have been, and not to kind of tee it up too much, but that's where we sit on the world of these spore and soil-based bacteria is that if the body doesn't produce it, we're still on the fence of the efficacy and safety outcomes of if it belongs in the body and if it should colonize in right. the body to begin right. with. Maybe it's just made to be a respiratory inhalant and not something that we actually consume in an oral form. Sure, I think that's a really good point, and we'll we'll get to that yes. question because we get it all the time. And then survivability, yeah, you know, we've actually looked at the specific strain isolated in stool samples after oral administration. So we're seeing that the um, survival through the gastrointestinal tract is viable and has clinical outcomes, as well as actually seeing that ID assessed in the stool, the end product, if yep. you will. Yeah. Passing through. Yeah. And that's, you know, both in clinical studies and we also see it personally in clinic with, um, you know, patients that we run multiple stool tests per year, like some of our IBS and, and IBD clients. Yes. So like I said, IBS is kind of the, the biggest area where you'll see a lot of the research. And, um, you know, one of the earliest studies on the, the NCFM was a double blind randomized clinical trial looking at uh, results where we saw low levels of beneficial bacteria and high levels of pathogens in individuals that were symptomatic. And they were given a combination of the lactoacidophilus NCFM. I'm just going to call it lactobacillus for the rest of this. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair? fine. <laughs> Everyone know that I'm talking about the NCFM strain in this section of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it's like beep, boop, boop. Yeah. Um, so they were given a combination of bacteria with that lactobacillus strain and um, given a follow-up stool test and uh, check-in on symptom survey. And there was a 73% improvement in bloating and 62% improvement in pain and cramps. So the lactobacillus NCFM was actually able to support reduction of also the pathogenic bacteria that was seen. So again, there's that defense mechanism mm -hmm. that I'm stating as well as symptom reduction. And I think a really cool area here is, is in terms of that pain and cramping. So yes. mechanisms for this pain relieving impact have also been determined in later studies. So 
This specific strain, lactobacillus, has been shown to induce some opioid and cannabinoid receptors in the intestinal epithelial or gut cells. Yes. So there's this analgesic pain reducing impact. And what's so interesting, Becky, is for so long, I remember being a clinical dietitian with my IBS patients and, you know, trying to do some elimination diet and giving them recommendations of actually similar probiotic uh, strains, but kind of having my hands tied of what I could actually recommend because something of this quality of our naturally nourished product isn't available over the counter. It's not available at Whole Foods and et cetera. And what's so interesting is often with IBS, individuals are put on pain management medications and also SSRIs. And isn't that an interesting connection? Because remember, it's the lactobacillus Mm -hmm. strain of this ID that has been shown to clinically increase serotonin levels. So there is connection of SSRI drugs supporting that um, gut peristalsis, the pumping mechanism of the gut. But again, when you use functional medicine and you give what the body needs, you just eliminated three potential medications, one for bowel motility, one for pain and cramping, and also, you know, one for antidepressant effects. Yep. Yep. And who knows what else could be more. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Then there's the metabolic and the other things that we're seeing favorable and getting sick less frequently. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So yeah, super cool how the bacteria actually are communicating with these cells in our gut and reducing spasm, reducing cramping, reducing pain. Yes. And there was even a connection within beyond the opioid um, receptors. Uh, there was even a connection that we saw in the, well, this was opioid. It was the, modulating the mu opioid receptor MOR expression. And we saw that intestinal tissue samples actually showed specifically that it's this NCFM is able to reduce the pain in the gut um, by 40 fold. So this is a pretty significant. So this wasn't just symptom assessment through like a survey. This is actually looking at the tissue expression of that inflammatory receptor. Super cool. And and I think it's important to note, um, like we said, that dosage really matters. And this has also been studied clinically where we're looking at doses of 10 billion CFU um, being uh, somewhere, you know, starting around 10 billion actually being effective. Yeah. There was a study that looked at, uh, just under 400 subjects of 1 billion Mm -hmm. CFU versus 10 billion versus placebo. And they saw that the 10 billion CFU significantly reduced the discomfort in the gut, um, over the baseline. And so again, in our targeted strength, you're going to be getting a 50, 50 blend. So if there's 60 billion CFUs, you're getting 30 billion per capsule of the NCFM, and then you're getting 30 billion of the BI-07. In the restore baseline, you'd be getting 7.5, you know, so that's where maybe your sweet spot is to get that 10 billion if you're symptomatic. And then when things go in resolution, you could go down from the targeted to the restore baseline. And that's why it's a baseline. The targeted is more to get targeted effects. Yep. To clarify. Yep. Why I named it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, Let's talk the world of Diarrhea. diarrhea and constipation because that goes hand in hand with IBS. Yeah, so another strong double-blind placebo-controlled study that was randomized uh, looked at children, 243 children aged 12 to 36 months, and they used our strain of the NCFM, and um, they used this in a formulation with also the bifido lactis of our BIO7 strain, 
And in 14 weeks, they saw a statistically significant reduction in the incidence and frequency of episodes of diarrhea in the probiotic group when compared to the placebo. There's also been compelling literature demonstrating subjects that used this strain of, co of probiotic in combination with the BIO7 also um, tended to need less um, loperamide, which is Imodium as like the name brand medication. So reducing medication and regulating symptoms. Yeah is always the goal, right? Yes. And then on the <laughs> other end of the spectrum, uh, there were studies that also randomized clinical trial comparing the probiotic strains that we just named, the lacto and bifido of our line, um, and compared to a control group given plain yogurt. And those that were in the probiotic uh, group actually had significantly shortened colon transit time. And that's where, again, that potency and ID guarantee are going to be really important. You can use the therapeutic foods as a good baseline, but when you're dealing with a symptom, you really need kind of the big guns, if you will. Yes. And often that world of, of constipation, I think people automatically go to dysbiosis and like that over fermentation stagnation, but sometimes it is just sterility and mm -hmm. just needing more good gut bugs, which is why we do that probiotic challenge. And oftentimes people see that breaking through, you know, once they're up to that four capsules, starting to see more bowel regularity. Yeah. And then, I mean, making the entire digestive process more enjoyable, we've seen clinical studies with this strain of lactobacillus reducing lactose intolerance. You talked earlier, Becky, about the importance of probiotics in manufacturing nutrients, but also in aiding in the breakdown of our foods to assimilate or absorb yeah. nutrients. Yep. And that's one that we see really heavily tied with this strain as well. And then immune health, I think yeah, lactobacillus is like a really and bifido, big one yeah. here. Lacto and bifido, and, and again, these are often in conjunction in studies. Yes. So the lactobacillus mechanism we focus on with immune is those serum immunoglobulins. Um, and so we tend to see an increase in levels of the serum IgA and IgM. Again, these are kind of like the tagging components that um, will play a role with an immune response which basically line our mucosal membranes. So our immunoglobulins are going to be the uh, antibody when the antibody production powerhouses, if you will, to respond to an antigen. So that can help across the board, whether it's seasonal allergy, whether it's making less food sensitivity responses, whether that is aiding in an immune infection of a virus or a pathogen. And I think a couple of the really compelling studies, for me at least, are, are with kids. So both in the immune response and also in reduction of allergy symptoms. Totally. Huge. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you could also think of this as being equally important as we talked about reducing food sensitivity mm -hmm. to lay down this foundation as you're bringing in food introduction for kids because they will have less sensitivity overall. Right. So less food reactions, you know, less reactive asthma. Um, there was a study using our kids biotic, which is again, those same two strains. And this is one of my favorite ones that I've probably referenced the most in the podcast, just cause it's so powerful. It was a double blind placebo study looking at 326 children from ages three to five and they were randomized to a placebo or this probiotic strain and they looked at both the ncfm and then the ncfm in combination with the bifidobacterium lactis bio7 and um, they found that specifically the combination which is what's in our kids biotic as well as the restore baseline and the targeted um, was the most powerful outcomes 
they saw a statistical reduction in the incidence of cold symptoms such as fevers, colds, and rhinorrhea or runny nose. Uh, they saw less use of antibiotics in both probiotic groups, but even significantly less in the combination. And they saw less absent or sick days from illness in both probiotic groups, again, more dynamically reduced in that combination formula. Yes, such a good tool for heading back to school for sure, because we know kids are in this like petri dish situation anyway yeah and again instead of putting them in i know i like to use the word bubble wrap when i'm talking right. about probiotics but when we're talking about the microbiome i won't say bubble wrap because i think of that as like a sterility bubble mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know instead of putting your kids as a bubble kid who is sterilized and their galt is compromised and they can't make the compounds to be resilient giving them good gut flora and a targeted probiotic supplement can be a great way for them to be less susceptible, have less viral load if to be infected, and for their immune system to have that offense to pick up if if the immune system detects that it needs to. And as we've seen in clinical studies, with that battle, we see less impact of illness, less symptoms, less sick days, Less miserable nights for mom, all the things. I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) And a more robust, healthy child, right? So huge. Yeah. Um, And then even with the world of allergies, we've seen with hay fever, um, taking this, you know, double strain probiotic actually showed significant reduction of the presence of xenophils, which are the white blood cells that are responsible for that allergic response in the nasal area of children who took probiotics. Right. And so that's that like chronic rhinitis that we see in that classic age group of like age three through five when they're just sucking the gunk always, even if not cold, flu or virus. Often that is their immune system, white blood cell response. And we even see issues of concern like eosinophilic esophagitis, Mm -hmm. which is a really excessive eosinophil production, which can impact um, almost like an anaphylactic response, like throat closing and, and really severe influence. So the probiotics can be beneficial both on seasonal allergens, as well as again, in the diet, having less inflammatory response to foods. Yes. And then I think another world where lactobacillus really shines, and we talked about this in our So You're On an Antibiotic episode, but is in stabilizing the gut microbiome after an antibiotic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's essential to ensure that you continue your probiotic when you're on an antibiotic. And then I recommend that you double down for the length of time of the antibiotic following. So when you, if, if you can anticipate, and this is why I would recommend having the rebuild spectrum, which is that more broad spectrum probiotic strain. There's uh, eight strains or seven strains. I always seven. get seven strains. And, and we'll nerd out on those in a moment. We won't just talk MCFM all episode. We could. Um, I know, right? <laughs> but the, um, the rebuild spectrum is one that you'd bring in while you stay on whatever your base is of your lactobifido. So if you're taking targeted one at night or the restore baseline one at night, you would add in that rebuild spectrum. And then if you did a seven day or a 10 day or a 14 day course of an antibiotic, following that last one beyond the one pill of each, you'd go double dose of both. So then you would take one of each at rise and bed, and then you know potentially even continue a little bit longer depending on where your gut feels and how your immune system has recuperated. And on that note, Allie, how far away from the antibiotic do you want to be taking that probiotic? Yeah. What's best practice I there? recommend at minimum four hours. Okay. Yep. Um, and so that's 
tends to be pretty reasonable because often an antibiotic will be taken twice in the day as mm-hmm. well. Right. Um, and so that's doable for sure. Like you could do one at 7 a.m., one at 11 a.m. And then yeah, and you know, often with food. Mm-hmm. And then we want the probiotics away from food. Let's talk about that too. When the best time in general for anyone yeah. to take a probiotic so is. So if you're kind of following that protocol, your probiotic will be truly at rise, right? And then the antibiotic will be about four hours after. You could invert those two. It just depends because mm-hmm. a lot of my listeners are intermittent fasters. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of thinking of that right, first and then right. the meal at like 11. Um, but you could, in, you, could, you could flip those. But it'd be more important for me if on an antibiotic that you take that antibiotic at like 8 p.m. or 7 p.m. or 6.30, you know, whenever that dinner meal is, and then 10.30 p.m. at true bed would be your probiotic. And if you're not in the antibiotic realm, I want your probiotics to be taken separately from food because during a digestive environment, you are going to be upregulating hydrochloric acid. You're going to be driving more bile. So your digestive process when it's stimulated is going to function differently than when you're at a parasympathetic, rested, non-digestive state. Um, And so even though you digest during parasympathetic as well, just different GI chemical environment. And I also don't want like acidic foods or fibers to bind a probiotic. I want it to really set up camp while you sleep. So I tend to recommend at bed as the primary time. But if you need a little bit more full coverage support, it would be taking the two pills about 10 to 12 hours separated and kind of like bookends, like rise and rest. Okay, that makes sense. And that's regardless of antibiotic status um, to be taken. So we take ours always at bed. Yeah, it's like the last thing I do with my relax and regulate and I open up all my probiotic bottles and hand it to Byron. Boom, boom, boom. Get it done. That's right. All right. Um, And then one more area with the lactobacillus we're looking at is um, with reduction of candida albicans. Yeah. So like I said, there's actually that competitive inhibition or like defense of the NCFM as well. And so we've seen that it's itself not a sterilizing antibiotic, right? But it does have some antimicrobial and antipathogenic functions. And what's really cool is it can reduce the toxic impact of said pathogen. So when we look at the use of lactobacillus acidophilus NCFM, um, there was a study that looked at it as a protective effect against systemic infections caused by pathogens such as candida albicans and citrobacter as an infection. Um, And so when we're talking about C. diff and some of these really more severe disease-driving bacteria um, dysbiotic strains, if you will, that the NCFM can actually support the immune system in the battle process um, and also reduce the toxicity during that die-off or the expression of that pathogen itself. That's a really good point, that it supports that die-off piece of the puzzle Mm -hmm. um, or the the endotoxins that bacteria, whether they're alive or dying, will create. And I'll say, again, that's maybe that scenario of the individual that didn't tolerate the probiotic challenge, and so they're not taking a lactobacillus NCFM strain now. They're doing the the beat-the-bloat cleanse. Then um, they do the probiotic challenge and they pass it. That's why we really insert the probiotic challenge at the end of the beat the bloat cleanse because you need to repollinate to have that active defense. Yes. Otherwise, you're sitting vulnerable. And so that's why, again, even if you tolerate the rebuild spectrum as your probiotic, as you're repairing or rebalancing your gut, 
you're going to need to either get in that restore baseline or targeted strength as your foundational probiotic tool for really the whole kit and caboodle. Yes, I think that's a really good point. Let's talk about the other strain that's in both of those guys, um, Bifidobacterium lactis. So a lot of the studies are going to have some overlap, Mm -hmm. um, but maybe let's just hit on the ones that we didn't get quite yet. Sure. So the BIO7, which is um, the Bifidobacterium lactis BIO7, and I'm just going to call it the BIO7, like you said, Becky, has been combined in a lot of those highlighted studies that I called out. Um, and you know, we do see across the board impact also with this strain particularly being absolutely safe and showing the, a period of um, survivability and tolerability in individuals, which also then equals efficacy, right? Um, so when we looked at the BIO7, it was equally as detectable as a single strain or as part of a combination with other strains. And that's why when we formulated our probiotics, we decided let's just make them besties and put them together all the time because they don't have any competitive inhibition of each other. They do really well together. And um, we see a little, definitely a huge Venn diagram of overlap in the world of the immune, inflammatory, pain-mediating, bloating, GI, IBS. Um, But there are some novel components of the bifido as well. Yes. So couple of studies um, to call out one on elderly patients who were supplemented just with the bifidobacterium lactis um, and noted an increase in phagocytotic activity of both monocytes and granulocytes. Um, so this is one of the immunological mechanisms in terms of preventing infection and illness. And, and we that's know, that innate, yes, yeah, that yeah. immediate. And we know the elderly to be a particularly vulnerable population, especially to a lot of that gut sterility, or if we're in, you know, assisted living or something like that, I think that's a great um, time to be on a probiotic. Absolutely. Um, We saw in a five-month trial uh, reduction, uh, 27% decreased risk of respiratory infection in individuals that were using the BI-07. Um, And so there was two different groups that were split up um, and only one had the BIO7, and that was the one that was most effective in the clinical outcomes. And I think very relevant when we're talking respiratory infection in time with pandemic. Absolutely. Um, and then kind of across the board, um, looks like most of the studies done on diarrhea, diarrhea um, and bloating use both in combination, the lactobacillus and the bifidobacteria. Absolutely. And Again, time and time again, these are randomized clinical trials, which is really the gold standard. Anytime that you're looking at research to support something that you're investing your dollar into, you want to find a randomized clinical trial that's comparing that said product to a placebo and it's randomized. And, and you know, all these double blind studies that we're sharing, this is what we were seeing. So another one of this was a smaller population, 57 patients with IBS, uh, with uh, diarrhea and functional bloating, enrolled in, in a randomized clinical trial with a placebo or the BIO7 and lacto-NCFM, and they found significant improvement in distension bloating and bowel regularity. Okay. And then in that world of pain modulation, um, seeing that lacto and bifido in combination um, help to reduce post colonoscopy pain. 
Yes. And then on the skin world, um, we do see with atopic dermatitis, the BIO7 to be a influencing factor there. There was a placebo-controlled trial using 50 children with atopic dermatitis. They were given either the placebo or the probiotic with both the NCFM and the BIO7, and um, they saw a measurable reduction in the severity of atopic dermatitis, which also likely then means less steroids, um, Uh more favorable diversity in the diet, and so much more. Yes. Um, And so that kind of covers the lacto and bifido strains. Um, So as we mentioned, we're looking at restore baseline probiotic and targeted strength as the two in the adult line, and then kids biotic as the one for children that's at 10 billion CFU per two chews. Yes. So my Stella, who's five, gets two chews. She's been getting two chews, honestly, since age two. Uh, we did come out with a formula at that time and Becky and I have already been talking about Noah and like, you know, timeline of that. And, um, you know, we really think that if you're crushing the kids biotic, starting with 5 billion CFUs, once baby's at 20 pounds, um, the big concern is just of course choking on the tablet. So if that's crushed up and that's mixed into a bite of yogurt or, um, a dip of sorts, like a hummus or something like that, um, a texture that works well for your baby and you're doing baby lead weaning, that could absolutely, and especially with constructs of pandemic and if they're going to daycare, mm-hmm. 5 billion CFUs would be good for that age group as well. And then with Stella, um, I will double down her dosage if she has any symptoms. So she goes to 20 billion. Uh, also, I will say uh, she has a really robust microbiome, fabulous bowel motility and formation has not had any dermatitis ever in her history, um, hasn't had much illness, you know, so, so that's pretty great at maintaining. And she consumes kombucha like three times a week and probiotic on the off days. So she's a pretty heavy probiotic consumer. And so sitting her at that 10 billion CFU is appropriate. But I will note if your child is dealing with IBS, uh, either chronic constipation or diarrhea or even an immune issue, this might be a time that you would consider opening the capsule. So I would say, you know, Mm -hmm. just to be fair, that they're not adults only. Um, So, you know, I have children with Crohn's disease, for instance, that are eight years old that are doing the targeted strength probiotic with the 60 billion CFUs. And then we might have mom actually move the capsule and use tinier capsules to distribute, or we'll mix it in with a bite of food. Um, So just to to note that, um, it's really just looking at potency. And the kids' biotic chews are so palatable, the grape flavor. We've never had a single complaint. Um, in fact, we've had some uh, emails or DMs of Can like, take too oh many? no, yeah, <laughs> oh no, someone got into the bottle. Um, and you know, where we worry about that a little bit more with the multivalent kids because we don't want excessive minerals yeah. or iron yeah. in their body. The probiotic, it's like, well, they might poop a lot, and yeah. it's gonna be okay. Yep. All good. And, and yeah, I don't know any kid that would say no to like a double dose of, of that probiotic. So yes. I'll report back when Noah tries it. I'm sure he'll be happy to get off his liquid probiotic that yeah. he has to like lick off my finger and he's not a big fan of the taste. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to dig it for yeah. sure. Yeah. Cool. So I think we hit a lot of that. Let's move on to maybe some of the kind of outside the box strains in our rebuild spectrum probiotic, starting with the lactobacillus planetarium. Yeah. Um, so this one, you were just reminding me of um, the opening the capsules and putting into a bite of food, and I'm sure we'll talk about applications of this, but 
Um, I think Stella had a stomach virus. Maybe that was when you guys were visiting in Houston. Um, I know she had a stomach virus because she vomited in a restaurant. Um, on Brady's shoulder. On Brady's shoulder. The um, one time she vomited. Yeah. Well, the second, the one yeah. was water. And then the, yep. the second time in her history that she vomited. Yep. Yeah. And so we were opening the capsules of Rebuild Spectrum. And I think that's a really great application of this particular formula is in the case of any kind of viral GI stuff or foodborne mm-hmm. illness. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lactobacillus plantarum specifically has been shown to facilitate wound healing and tissue recovery as well as gut lining integrity. And I yes. think that's huge because all probiotics via that mechanism of um, that secretory IgA can help with gut lining integrity. But this one I think of as like going in there and kind of like sewing things back I together. I think of the Lactobacillus planetarium 99 as the um, leaky gut yep. repairer, you know? And so if you've been diagnosed with leaky gut, or you have recovered from a gut cleanse. That's why we put that in that bacteria rebuild bundle as an essential tool. Um, and then yes, the like foodborne illness or, you know, the other thing with the wound healing and tissue recovery is that's why we have this one as a go-to with our post-surgical. Yes. Yep. You know, both yep. because of the sterility of the IV antibiotics you're likely on, but also because it can actually help with tissue recovery beyond the gut itself. So systemically, as well as strategically, to that tissue of focus. Yep, that's a really good point. So the strains um, that we're looking at in the Lactobacillus planetarium 299V, that's the whole detail with the ID strain, um, there was a four-week study that investigated the use of this particular probiotic. It was a double-blind randomized clinical trial, and they looked at 60 individuals with IBS, um, and they saw that the probiotic group actually had improved gut lining um, that improved upwards of 84% in the treatment group and that they also had a decrease of symptoms of gas and bloating. And then after four weeks of supplementation, twice as many of the patients from this particular probiotic group reported less of the gas and bloating than the placebo group, also less pain and more consistent bowel movements. And then um, those were the the positive benefits that we saw both at the four and then the the 12 months later, the same trend of outcomes were still evident. Okay. And so the the IBS and IBD population, I think, is kind of the big hit here. Um, So looking at other studies, we're seeing um, reduced incidence of, of bowel frequency, abdominal pain, bloating, and feelings of incomplete emptying. Yeah, I think that's um, huge. Yep. And that's a symptom that's not talked about yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, and stool frequency were also monitors monitored and improved with this particular strain. Which would likely also support if you have history of hemorrhoids yeah. um, or are dealing with hemorrhoids currently, that rectal emptying often can create a lot, of, or that, that sensation can cause a lot of strain and then that can exacerbate the hemorrhoids. So this would be another one. And again, then you're also supporting the tissue support um, so you're kind of repairing any of those internal hernia or um, um, hemorrhoids, excuse me, hemorrhoids that could have expressed. It's a great point. Mm-hmm. Post-childbirth, it's a thing. Yes, <laughs> yes, for many reasons. Um, then we see in the absorption world that the um, planetarium strain has been shown to aid in iron absorption, um, aiding with iron deficiency. 
and um, that's likely by the support of regulating the pH in the GI tract, which can, you know, the small intestine is where we have that absorption tissue of iron. And we saw this especially to be important in uh, women that were running low iron. Um, it was found that after consuming a meal with high amounts of phytic acid, which phytic acid can actually inhibit the absorption of um, iron, that the lactoplanetarium increased the iron absorption by upwards of 80% because likely that lactoplanetarium not only regulated the pH to support the absorption of iron, but it also broke down the phytic acid, which mm -hmm. was otherwise binding and competing with the absorption of the mineral. Yep. So again, it's both in that enhanced digestion and assimilation and absorption of nutrients. And then in the world of IBD, um, we're looking at studies that showed 50% plus reduction of um, colitis symptoms, which is huge. a pretty huge improvement. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's so interesting, you know, a clinical drug can make it to the market with any statistical significance. Uh, and right. A probiotic can have 50, 70 plus, you know, and then there's that uh, what was that journal two years ago that I freaked out about? Remember, and they were, it's kind of like last week, if you guys listened to our vitamin D episode, <laughs> <laughs> like we did not find any significant impact. Keep taking your, your, um, proton pump inhibitor drug right. and your antispasmodic. And meanwhile, we're making more money off of you because we make those drugs too. Right. Yeah. And that big surge of articles. And even, I think it was a 60 minutes episode questioning whether probiotics That's were what I'm referring safe. To, yeah. 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 Yes. It was pretty wild. We talked about that, I think in the antibiotic episode too, because it was around that time. Yes. Yes. So a lot of positives we see on the lactoplanetarium. We also see some studies on use of it with antibiotic-associated diarrhea and resolving symptoms, as well as with um, C. diff. Uh, we saw a double-blind clini clinical uh, trial on C. diff, and in the placebo group, there was a 19% um, infection um, where the probiotic group, none of the individuals were infected, which that's remarkable of itself because we know C. diff actually can literally be that kind of tipping point mm -hmm. of what drives death in the elderly population, yeah. a really resistant uh, bacteria, which most of the z packs and the powerhouse antibiotics just can't get rid of. Yeah, and I would say like for any individual who's hospitalized um, or who, you know, goes into the hospital for a procedure, likely you're going to have some antibiotic influence and then you're in that sterile environment where there are also superbugs. So this is a really good one to have on hand or order for like an elderly patient, an elderly parent or something like that to Absolutely. have that support. Yep. And that's again, where we think of it as more of the like acute hospital yep. Yep. illness tool um, that you pulse in on top of uh, the lacto and bifido blends. Okay, so let's just kind of do a little hit on some of the other strains in this okay. formula. Because <laughs> there's seven in there's it. There's seven. I, don't, yeah. I didn't highlight all of them because actually the um, two that we already talked about, the NCFM and the BIO7, are also two of them. in there yes. in a smaller amount. Yes. Um, but there's Lactobacillus salivarius, um, which can battle streptococcus strains and uh, those candida biofilms, so aiding in resolving chronic yeast overgrowth. There's Streptococcus thermophilus, uh, which can regulate inflammatory response and shows some favorable research in terms of remission of autoimmune disease. 
Awesome. And then, dun dun dun, there's this superstar, um, Saccharomyces boulardii, yes. which I think we could dedicate a little bit more time and, and nerdiness to. It's pretty cool. Fair. So, the Sac boulardii is what we think of as that anti pathogenic function or kind of like the shield or even the battling agent in the probiotic world. So, it can actually um, fight against dysbiosis. It's well-researched against candida and um, loose stool, but also forms of pathogen and even parasite. Um, and so this is one that we think of, again, that can often be tolerated when the lacto and bifidal on their own aren't. And that's why the synergy of this formula can often be brought in on the heels of or towards the end of or maybe even throughout a gut bacterial cleanse. Yes. And, and what's really cool about this guy, so it's the only yeast that is recognized as a probiotic. We typically think of yeast as potential pathogens like candida, um, but it has this broad antipathogen action where it actually has this like sticky outer surface that can attach to the pathogenic bacteria like E. coli and salmonella and help to sweep them out or remove them from the digestive system and same action um, also with candida, we can also see increase of um, capric and caprylic acid, I believe, with espilardi mm-hmm. as well. Right, which are actual themselves antifungal substances. And so it aids in producing these natural antifungal, antiviral also compounds in the body. And so it's aiding in both, again, that defense and offense. And the espolarity increases the brush border enzymes in the intestinal wall. Um, so this is where we could see, again, more favorable absorption, less food intolerance. Look, we talked about the um, lactase and um, the lacto... Um, what is the word? Lactose intolerance reducing yeah, yeah. with the NCFM. Um, you can see similar impact because of that surge of the brush border enzymes in the intestine wall with the espilardi. You're actually going to break down foods more appropriately that can reduce bloating, but also the absorption of nutrients in the gut. And then there's another specific enzyme that's kind of cool too, this leucine aminopeptidase or peptase um, that can help to reduce potential dietary allergens even beyond um, the breakdown of food. Wow. Really incredible. (laughs) Yeah. And so we think of this, like this probiotic came to my mind or awareness in the world with uh, kombucha. Mm -hmm. Kombucha is one of the only foods that has this and it has a SCOBY, right? Which is a symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast. And so the Saccharomyces boulardii is the yeast culture of the kombucha. And that's one of the, the food is medicine sources there. Yeah, and um, Espilardi has been studied in rotavirus, so I think that's a really important one for for parents of Mm -hmm. of young children, and especially if you're opting out of the rotavirus vaccine, um, which I didn't even know There's a rotavirus vaccine. There sure is. Of course. I refused it. There's a vaccine for everything. (laughs) We got a vaccine for that. Um, But reducing um, incidence of watery diarrhea with rotavirus, which is problematic, especially in young children and and babies because they're going to become pretty dehydrated yeah so that's a good one to have on hand and and we could use that where you're opening the capsule and using you know a small amount for an infant and even i guess topically in the world of infants let's talk on uh preterm infants and even full-term infants cradle cap and eczema and some of that atopic dermatitis and the fungal influence um, again, because the espilardi has been shown to have kind of some of that antifungal influence, there was a randomized clinical trial that used espilardi or antifungal nice, um, nice 
nystatin. And um, they saw that the patients had that had candida positive blood cultures in the nystatin group, um, whereas there was no evidence of candida in the probiotic group. So potentially that antifungal drug stimulated a fungal surge, whereas the espolardi demonstrated no fungal surge and um, there was no feeding intolerance, no sepsis. Uh, the probiotic group had more favorable outcomes overall when compared to the antifungal. So it's something that could be mixed into pumped breast milk mm-hmm. in a bottle or even applied topically like um, with coconut oil. So you're yep. getting some of that caprylic acid with some of that espolardi or some of the capsule itself and applied topically. I did that for Noah, uh, both internally and topically on his scalp when he had the cradle cap and eczema flares. And resolved quite quickly. It's looking good these days. Awesome. Uh, What else do we have on here? Do we just want to talk some kind of rapid fire stuff? We can do that. Um, I mean, we can can skip over the rest of the Espolardi stuff unless there's anything else you wanted to. Just to clarify for listeners. So again, the restore baseline or the targeted are the like, you need those in. You might not tolerate them now, but you do need to get those in. The rebuild spectrum is one that you could take, like Becky and I take one of each every night because yep. we just do all the things. But you could take that more seasonally in more response to immune, more response to foodborne illness, more response to the gut disbehaving or not feeling right on, um, or a family member being ill or something sure. like that, or if you have to be in a hospital environment. That's kind of yep. the, the overall hit there. Yeah. And the right? reason I take it, I mean, I have pretty significant history of dysbiosis and like multiple parasite cleanses that I did. And, you know, right now not being able to, um, do a, a beat the bloat cleanse cause I'm still breastfeeding. I'm like, I'm just going to take this every single day. And I'd be interested to know, cause I've been really pro vigilant, like what a stool test would look like now that I've just been taking yeah. that and, uh, targeted strength like every night forever. Yeah. And how's your gut looking Feels on good. the output side? <laughs> Any <laughs> dynamics? Pretty good. I mean, okay, good. you know, good bowel regularity, not a lot of bloating. So good. I think all things considered, good. Awesome. <laughs> Let's nerd out real quick on the lactobacillus raminus, just because we got to get there, and the rootery uh, forms that are in the women's flora and how that would be used. I know we talked about that recently because that's the new kid on the block in our formulations that we really just kind of launched in May or June mm-hmm. around swimsuit season. Um, so these are the most well-studied strains, again, strain-specific for women's health. Uh, They've been proven in numerous studies to aid with oral thrush, which would be candidiasis or yeast growth in the tongue, bacterial vaginosis, and uh, cystitis, which can be um, really um, painful impact on uh, urinary function and bladder health. So um, often the Lactobacillus raminus GR1 is going to be paired with the Lactobacillus ruteri RC14, and those are particularly the two ID strains in our Naturally Nourished Women's Flora Probiotics. Let's just hit some of the research highlights here, Becky, and then we'll round it out with our GI cleanup, and everyone will feel super zen and confident in their probiotic formulations. Yeah, so like Ali said, these are typically going to be studied in conjunction, so we won't bore you with the separate <laughs> studies per um, strain, but we have seen that um, these two probiotics in conjunction can prevent and alleviate infections by adhering to the urethra. So thinking about like 
um, the cranberry supplements that mm-hmm. people typically take for UTIs, it kind of does a similar thing to that. So D-mannose is, yep. is that. Thank you. Um, That's the word. I've anti- I know it's in cranberry. What is <laughs> D-mannose, yeah. So often, and D-mannose can be a great thing if, especially you're dealing with chronic UTIs, yeah. but there's clinical compelling research. So there's, there's adhesive component to the urethra and then um, even in vaginal mucosa swabs. So it's not just in the urethra of like urinary output and bladder. We're also talking in the vaginal canal. And there is a um, kind of coordination of the microbiome, whereas I really think the D-mannose is just more regional specific. Um, With these two strains of gut bacteria, there's going to be um, communication also within the intestinal wells and intestinal walls, excuse me. And that's why you can use this both um, kind of strategically as a vaginal insert, and then you can also use it orally to get that gut connection as well to get best expression. So there's competitive inhibition. Basically, the these strains in the women's flora are going to compete for space in the mucosa, fighting against yeast overgrowth, fighting against BV or bacterial vaginosis, or which is basically a pathogenic bacteria that has set up camp in the vagina. Um, we know also that these strains, the raminus and the ruteri, aid in production of lactic acid and lower the pH of the vagina. We know often women that use uh, cleansing products that are a suboptimal pH are more prone towards both yeast infections and UTIs. So this is internally, instead of kind of topically what you're using as a cleanser, regulating that pH so that it's not conducive to survival of pathogens. Pathogens tend to survive in an alkaline environment and a lot of cleansers and soaps are too alkaline. So regulating that pH is huge. And that's where we connected it to like the pool. You know, anytime you're jumping into a body of water, whether it's chlorine, then you're not gonna get likely pathogenic bacteria, maybe like a lake or a river would, but either way, you're messing with your your body's flora, you know, your canal. Yeah, <laughs> if you will, is the best way to say it. Yeah. And then these probiotics have also been shown to produce substances called biosurfectants, which can further discourage pathogenic bacteria and yeast. So thinking of it like a soap that kind of mops up those like slimy networks of biofilm that pathogens can create. Awesome. And then again, of course, both of these strains have been tested for both safety and survival. So seeing uh, vaginal swabs falling just oral, not actually insertion, seeing from oral consumption or use of these probiotic strains, both fecal confirmation of the species as well as vaginal swabs to show good survivability through the gut all the way through the vaginal canal. Um, and then this was just oral. And then again, you're going to get more targeted support using as an insert. Let's talk a little bit about how we do that differently, but maybe let's uh, first hit the thing, the couple things that, that also aren't the most fun to talk about, like odor. I, I kind of alluded to that when I promoted this. I was like, you know, this is like, this probiotic just makes you feel awesome down there. <laughs> like yeah. meaning that like fresh, regulates, fresh as a daisy. Yeah. So beyond prevent, <laughs> I think it's important to note yeah. and not the most comfortable, but it's going to prevent UTI and yeast infection. It can also, there's some favorable impact on um, supporting virus. So like on an STD proactive, yeah. we can't say that for the record, but we know that strep B, right? right. Infections have been reduced yeah. with use. Um, but also just the discharge output and odor or shifts in smell could be a big impact that you can see from use of this 
blend of the women's flora probiotic. And especially we tend to see more susceptibility following intercourse with new partners where like you're recalibrating internally Mm -hmm. or following antibiotic use. So if you're someone that has had vaginal yeast infections following antibiotic use, maybe instead of taking that Diflucan as the prophylactic antifungal, you follow what we just said as the probiotic support, but then you would also consider that's where you would do an insert. Like times that you're higher risk for any of these undesirable symptoms of vaginal and uterine utero, uterine health, um, these would be times uh, to consider inserting a probiotic yep. as well. Yep. So like after sex, either with a new partner or a current partner, if, if you're susceptible. We talked about that in our episode t- with um, Dr. Annika Becca about like, who do you want to be swapping microbiomes with? Because yeah. it's true that is happening when you're having sex. So um, utilizing it post-sex, I think is a really good time. Um, like you said, after swimming in a pool, but also like a lake or a pond or a river where you just don't know what's getting all up in there, right? Or who else is getting in there with all their in there and stuff. Yeah, yeah. water parks. Um. <laughs> all the things. Yes. So again, both of these strains are going to restore optimal vaginal homeostasis, if you will, or basically like pushing the reset button for the pH, odor, discharge, and regulation of urinary and uterine function. Um, How about in the world of inflammation? I know that there was also some studies when we were selecting these two strains demonstrating less oxidative stress. So for individuals that have had HPV or have HPV, Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking about cervical cancer protection, I think that this is a really good one. That that population, I would say, I would also provigilantly be doing an insert like three nights a week. Yeah. So that you're getting more of that targeted up by your cervix, you know, um, anti-inflammatory and antioxidant support as well. Can't hurt for sure. And especially if you have seen abnormal cells in a, a pap smear um, or have had to have a procedure like a colposcopy or something like that. Yep, that's kind of exactly what I'm thinking along those yep. lines. Yep. Good. And then let's talk the group B stress uh, stats because I think that's important and a, a big hit for our listeners as well. Yeah, you'll probably know that um, I used it a lot <laughs> in my third trimester and it was this exact probiotic and these exact strains that I was taking both orally twice a day and inserting every other day. Um, But we've seen in clinical studies in in a randomized placebo-controlled trial um, that the rhamnosus and the ruteri um, aid in reducing group B strep in pregnant women. So a total of 100 women who tested positive for group B strep were assigned to either a treatment group with the probiotic or a placebo. Um, And it was found that the group B strep colonization was able to change from positive to negative in 42.9, so 43% of the probiotic group and just 18% in that placebo group. So pretty significant, especially if you've gotten the diagnosis of group B strep, knowing that you could still potentially reverse that before delivery and retest and not have to go on IV antibiotics, which are going to make things a whole heck of a lot worse in terms of having to rebound your microbiome after all, after giving birth. Yes, absolutely. So tons here. And I mean, we have studies after studies that I'm just like scrolling because I feel like we, we hit it. We hit it. We'll link some more. The show notes started getting like really long here too, because (laughs) there's just so much. Um, but I think important to know on this probiotic, 
this would not necessarily be like you're flying solo probiotic no. No. Um, because it's a lower dose of just these two strains. Mm-hmm. So this is more specific for BV yeast infection, UTI, optimizing your vaginal flora for your body, and then, yes, um, supporting post-antibiotic, again, recalibrating if you're noticing things not feeling right down there, swimming season. You could absolutely take one at bed, just Mm pro-vigilantly, and so it could be layered in, and I do. Um, I take take a targeted (laughs) strength and a rebuild uh, spectrum, and then one of the women's flora, and then I will like do an insert since we're in the summer now. I'll do an insert like two to three times a week. And then if I would ever feel things kind of off, then I would double down and, and do maybe two at bed and maybe even two at rise of the women's flora to just kind of recalibrate. Totally. Yep. That's that's my game too. And I take GI cleanup because I have it and I can. <laughs> yes. Well, and your history. So let's just right, real right. briefly, because I know we've talked about bacteriophages in past episodes when we've talked about biofilms. Um, so, you know, this is another piece of the puzzle. The GI cleanup does not sit on its own as a probiotic either, which is important to note. It does have a probiotic blend, which includes the Streptococcus thermos, thermophilus. Um, there is a strain we haven't talked about, the Bifidobacterium brev, um, the Lactobacillus raminis, which we did just note in the women's uh, flora, the Lactoacidophilus, the Bifidobacterium, and a couple other strains in the probiotic blend, but that's a probiotic blend at 5 billion CFUs per capsule. But what's really the magic of this formula is the prephage, which is the bacteriophage prebiotic blend. Now this is the only exception to the rule because this is particularly formulated to actually focus on killing off and eating away at bacterial imbalance in the body. We kind of think of these as like little Pac-Men in our gut that scour the strains of bad bacteria, gobble them up, and leave room for the good gut bacteria to proliferate. So I would say for an extended period of time, probably not the best one to layer in with Becky's history of doing seven gut cleanses and all things and having parasites in her history maybe makes sense. Whereas me, like I've done beat the bloat cleanse three times. I really only bring it in if I feel like things are off and I'm like pulsing in berberine as well, or I'm pulsing in the herbal immune or, um, you know, it's also why we have it in again, the bacteria rebuild bundle following the beat the bloat cleanse. And then you can kind of phase this formula out but it is an essential tool during the active cleanse or the active dysbiotic timestamp because we see such a role in reducing the toxicity of pathogenic bacteria, also in aiding in the antifungal and antibacterial agents to be effective. Um, And especially when we're seeing history of antibiotic resistant treatments, this Mm -hmm. is something to kind of shake things up and get into those inner networks of the resistant bacteria. Yeah, and those bacteriophages have been studied in terms of antibiotic resistant strains of, of bacterial infections, as well as um, antibiotic resistant strains of UTIs. Um, and I think the, the reason I'm taking it now is I'm breastfeeding, so I can't do a gut cleanse. Right. So I'm like, exactly. let me just add this extra bonus clean layer. And that's, I don't necessarily do that one every night. It's probably like three times a week that I remember mm-hmm. to, to grab that bottle. Um, but I've also seen with clients who maybe aren't ready 
to do the beat the bloat cleanse like maybe they have a whole bunch of trips planned or just or they're pregnant aren't, yeah or pregnant or not ready to commit um, I've also seen that you know people who don't tolerate the higher dose of lacto and bifidobacteria because of suspected dysbiosis can usually tolerate at least the GI cleanup to yeah. kind of get in there, start eating away at that stuff, and then you know maybe from there they layer the rebuild spectrum, and then they hold and wait until they're ready for a cleanse. I think that's a great point for sure. Okay, so little recap. When you're picking your probiotic, the first place to start is the probiotic challenge. And then we will be linking in the show notes a chart on how to choose your probiotic, which includes all of these formulas, the potency of the formulas, the specific strains, the clinical application, the benefits, and how to best use them. Um, Again, including the restore baseline, targeted strength, rebuild spectrum, GI cleanup, kids biotic, and women's flora. Let's just real briefly touch on soil-based probiotics because I feel like this is the kind of hot thing in the last really five years. It's not new, new, but I'll say it's a common question and I'm often taking patients off of it. Um, But I do have patients that will take it because they didn't tolerate a live active Uh colony forming unit probiotic. And my question there is, you know, well, maybe it wasn't strain ID and maybe it was a spoiled or unfavorable strain of probiotic that they were taking or B, maybe they are dealing with dysbiosis and they do need to bring in a little slower, steadier GI Mm -hmm. cleanup and rebuild spectrum before going for the restore baseline or targeted strength. Um, What are your thoughts, Becky, on the soil-based probiotics and what are considerations, especially when we talk about like that safety and clinical efficacy? Yeah, yeah. So from what I've seen, kind of the soil-based and and spore-based are used pretty interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are probiotics that are, you know, found in dirt or soil. So thinking about, you know, getting that from our garden and from our farmer's market where maybe we don't wash the carrots that we get from a a vendor, but I don't know about taking it in a capsule and and really the research just isn't there is kind of the first red flag for me that we haven't seen, you know, like the other um, probiotics that we've detailed today, we haven't seen longevity studies in terms of safety. And when you're talking soil-based, you know, that's based in the soil. That doesn't mean that that's something that inherently would be growing in a human body, or at least that we don't want to be taking necessarily on a high dose. We might be getting passive exposure in our hunter gatherer days for sure. Mm -hmm. But I just don't know about, you know, taking it in a capsule in a concentrated dose and what it's going to do and where it's going to go in the body. Yeah. I mean, I'm never going to recommend something that doesn't have a randomized clinical trial, double blind, that I can really truly see the value and the efficacy. And then on the safety section, I totally agree in that sense of soil-based organisms. I believe there's a lot of beneficial studies on gardening, on, um, you know, like we talked about in the dysbiosis disconnection episode, the importance of getting out in nature, but those are through inhaling and through the microbiome of the skin not orally in consumption and volume or in concentrated dosages. And I just think we don't know on the safety side, uh, soil-based organisms, how rapidly they proliferate Mm -hmm. per se. And because of their sporm forming nature, they have more risk of going dormant and then activating at random times. And that could really create some competitive inhibition to push out the well-known, well-researched biome strains that we know we need for all of these beneficial clinical outcomes. So, you know, for me, I'm I'm not going to recommend any of those products. 
I'm gonna always recommend specifically the strain guaranteed. And I will say, absolutely go get outside and get dirty. (laughs) And the low G movement is a good thing, but I don't need you swallowing um, concentrated capsules that were manufactured in a lab with spores. Right. Because that's that separation from nature and then you lost. If you wouldn't eat dirt like by the spoonful then I don't think taking it in a capsule that's what I, I like into it and you know I, I have um, heard from people too that they tolerate it better than other probiotics and then the question is just always why what's going on like a lot of my histamine intolerant patients I'm like we need to go back and do a cleanse and exactly. do a reset um, and get to the why you're not tolerating versus taking this thing that sure maybe you tolerate it now but is that going to wreak havoc down the line absolutely and um, I always think of Joel Salatin of drinking out of the cow trough. Sure. I, mean, <laughs> I was like, that's maybe a... he would eat a spoonful of dirt. He actually. would, but he's the only one. <laughs> and, you know, I think a point to note is if you're saying you tolerate it, but you don't tolerate other probiotics beyond knowing that's an indicator of needing to do a cleanse, well, what is it doing, though? Like, what right. benefit? Just right. be tolerating it could be a placebo. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. tell me what it's done for you yeah. and, and show me the clinical outcomes right. and then maybe I'll, I'll spend some more time digging into right. it. Right. It could be inert, but we don't know. Yes. <laughs> so um, big picture, let's just name our fave probiotic foods and then we will wrap things up. Again, all of the resource links that we've noted, we'll put a ton of research, research links, but we'll also put that guide and the video on our YouTube channel of how to do a probiotic challenge as well as the videos on our YouTube channel of how to do the Beat the Bloat Cleanse, if that's relevant to you, and how to cope with a gut cleanse. Great resources there. And then the Probiotic Rich Foods. I think we have four, a lot. <laughs> four YouTube videos. So by the way, go subscribe to the Naturally Nourished YouTube channel and check out all of the amazing content we have there and more bite-sized pieces without all of the beep bop Yes. Lots of beep bop food today, but I think it was good. I think yes. we did it. Um, probiotic foods that I'm digging lately... Um, a lot of local brands actually of, of, you know, all the wonderful producers that we have in Austin. Um, I'm really liking the mother culture yogurt. I think they're actually out of San Antonio, but it's like this thick, creamy, custardy grass fed yogurt that I ate like crazy when I was pregnant and then somehow stopped buying it and I'm back to it. Yes. We've just started buying it again too. Really enjoying it. No stabilizers um, yep. and the grass-fed low heat process. Yep. So you're still getting some of those immunoglobulins. Delightful. Yep. And I just got a savory one. They had like a roasted red pepper I got cream that. cheese. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So good. I'm going to dip some cucumbers in that and enjoy that this What's week. What's happening? Um, and then the Buddha's Brew Kombucha, which I know Stella is a huge fan. And I believe they're available pretty much everywhere at this point, at least so all over Texas. So I will do a big jug of their kombucha um, probably every two weeks that I refill it um, and I'll do like their ginger or lower sugar um, version that they have and then we've been getting this kimchi delivery that I don't really know (laughs) where it's coming from I know it is a Korean woman who does it the right way um, and it's so so good but it's a a local Texas um, brand that she does like a mustard green kimchi and a Napa cabbage kimchi and green onion kimchi and it's 
really, really yummy. So those are kind of my like Love three it. on rotation probiotics. And then right if now. you're doing any form of like farmer's market pickles, it's just important to note if you're buying from a vendor, you know, are they vinegared pickles yes. where they're yep. like heating them or are these lacto-fermented vegetables? Yep. So any lacto-fermented vegetable where they're just using a brine or they're inoculating it with a little bit of lactobacillus culture uh, will be optimal because that's going to have that viability. So then it could be like pickled carrots or, you know, of course, cucumber pickles and such. And I would also call out, as a Texas, call out the Kalina coconut yogurt, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is another so really clean. They use a sea vegetable as a thickener there. So another clean option, really beautiful flavor profiles if you're not doing dairy. And even just doing like that apple cider vinegar shooter in the morning to get the juices flowing, I think is a great thing to consider. Otherwise, I typically have my probiotic food as like an evening treat. I've been known to for sure sip on, especially I love that Marin County yeah. um, Pinot Sage kombucha in a wine glass. And like that's like a really good wind down for me. It's tea or kombucha kind of as a, an ongoing nightcap. And I think that that's a really great place for like deep qualitative sleep and that serotonin boost and all the good things. So a serving of culture a day keeps the doctor away, not just an apple, right? And it's important that you go for diversity within your diet. And then you focus on really harnessing in what probiotic products, ideally from the naturally nourished line, because we've done all the work for you, but whatever you're selecting, make sure that it's pure, it's safe, it's effective, and you're getting your money's worth as far as clinical outcomes. But be mindful that we really do think that in this era of sterility, using a probiotic daily is really a powerful way to not only support both that defense and offensive immune system, but really whole body health. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.